The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. I like that. I'm always on. <laughs> oh, it's good to be together. Um, the reason why we had a shorter worship set then was because we're going to have some ministry time after this sermon. Um, as Andy said, it is Pentecost Sunday today. And so I thought at the end of the message, it would be great for those of you who want a fresh infilling with the Holy Spirit. If you realize after this sermon that you haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit, then I really encourage you to come forward. I've asked the elders and their wives, the ministry team, to be here at the front to minister to you so that you can receive this incredible gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today, being Pentecost Sunday, we're kicking off a new sermon series. It's a four-week, four-part sermon series that we've entitled The Spirit-Filled Life. And I'm personally really excited, expectant about this new series because just recently I've been reminded concerning the centrality of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church in the life of the Christian. Simply put, with the Holy Spirit's baptism, with his empowering presence, we as Christians and we as a church will accomplish great things for God, amazing things, things that were lasting eternal significance. But without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we'll accomplish next to nothing. And so as we get this sermon series underway, we're going to turn to an important, insightful New Testament passage that speaks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please go ahead and locate those and turn to John, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, that's okay. We've got some gift Bibles to give away. You can grab one of those on your way out of church this morning, but all the references are going to be on the screen for you. So John, chapter one. We're going to jump in at verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is one of the most striking, staggering verses in the Bible. This eternal God taking on human flesh. We have seen his glory, says John, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified, he's talking about John the Baptist here, concerning him, that's Christ, he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we're going to think about what this means in just a moment, out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. Now, drop down to verse 29. The next day, John, again, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. It's a very important testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. That is, Jesus, this one who had the Spirit without measure, we're told in John 3, is here baptized with the Holy Spirit for mission. Verse 33. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you say in your word that the unfolding of your word gives light. I pray, Lord, as I unfold your word, that would happen. Light and revelation, illumination would happen in our hearts. And Lord, we would see the dazzling beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ as a result. Lord, this is the day of Pentecost, but I pray that we would not only look back to it as a historical event, but Lord, that you would cause us today to look up and want more of this spirit, this wonderful gift for ourselves, for our church, for our community, for our nation. Lord God, would you, Lord, fill this place with the spirit of Christ as I preach in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most influential pastors or preachers of the 20th century was a guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. They called him the doctor because for a period of time he was the queen's doctor, but also he was a minister. He was a Welsh minister who was the preaching pastor at Westminster Chapel in London for almost 30 years. He was a powerful preacher. In fact, we last month looked at a series called Adopted, and we were thinking about J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. J.I. Packer spent some time sitting under the preaching ministry of Dr. Lloyd-Jones, and Packer said that when Lloyd-Jones preached, it was like an electric shock because of the power of the Holy Spirit upon Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Well, in 1964, Lloyd-Jones decided to do a 15-week sermon series on the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And you've got to remember that his sermons went for an hour each. And so essentially 15 hours where he exhorted his people week after week after week, seek for yourself, he would say in his Welsh accent, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today, church, I don't have 15 weeks, nor do I have 15 hours, but I do have 35 minutes to tackle this important topic, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm being, because I've only got 35 minutes, highly selective. And so today, today I want us to investigate three important questions concerning the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The what question, the why question, the how question. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And lastly, how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? So what is it? Why do we need it? How do we receive it? So first up, what exactly is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Well, before we actually look squarely at the answer, we need to first establish that there is such a thing as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we're in John chapter 1, because in verse 33, we overhear John the Baptist say some pivotal words concerning this baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's talking to some religious leaders who have come to him, asking him a bunch of questions, and this is what he says to them. He says in verse 33, I myself did not know him, but the one who told me, that is God, to baptize with water told me this, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who, note, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so there you have it. There is such a thing as a baptism with the Holy Spirit. And we're told that it's Jesus who does this baptizing. And so you can grab your highlighter out and highlight that. We could turn to other New Testament passages as well, but this one will suffice. And so there you have it. There is such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that Pentecucus have made up. It's actually in the Bible. But we need to go back to the original question. What exactly is it? 
We've established that there is such a thing as this baptism of the Holy Spirit, but what exactly is it? Well, again, church, this is why we're in John chapter 1, because John gives us a heads up as to what it actually is, what it involves, what it includes. After telling us in verses 14 and 15 that Jesus, this word, became flesh, who came full of grace and truth from the Father, he gives this what I think is a summary statement of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit involves in verse 16. Notice what he says. You ready? He says, out of his, what's the word? It's on the screen, right? Out of his fullness, we have all received grace. Out of his fullness. Now, hold on a minute. Just just remember whose fullness this is. This is the eternal son of God. He created the cosmos through the word of his power. This is some fullness he's talking about here. This is not just a small fullness. This is a full fullness. And he's saying that we've all received, in my mind, this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit includes, involves. It's experiencing something, the fullness of the son of God. The New Living Translation puts it this way. From his abundance... We have all received one gracious blessing after another. So these two words, fullness and abundance, in my mind, this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit includes. It's when you experience something of the abundance of Jesus Christ. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the love of God being like Niagara Falls, that surging, rushing, strong experience. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Also, we could turn to uh, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. This is the way the apostle Paul puts it. I think he's talking about, again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit here. He says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. That's an experience. I don't think he's talking about regeneration here. I don't think he's talking about the born again experience here. He's talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the love of God, this lavish, excessive love, Niagara Falls type love being poured out into your hearts. It's an experience that you encounter. It's an experience that you know about. And so really in summary, I think this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's experiencing something of the abundance of Christ, something of the fullness of Christ. And so I've been reflecting this past week or so on these two verses, John 1.16 and Romans 5.5, and I've constructed a couple of sentences that I want to put before you as to what the baptism of the Holy Spirit involves. And I want you to receive these words. In my mind, the baptism, according to the Bible, as we've been reflecting on these passages, is this. It's having your soul saturated, listen, with the life of the Son of God. We know what water baptism is, right? And there's an analogy. There's a connection. When you're water baptized, you are submerged. Your body goes under the water. We don't do drip, 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 right? In this show, we go under. Your whole body is submerged. You're deluged. You're drenched. You're saturated with, with water. Well, the spirit baptism is that your soul is submerged into the fullness of Jesus Christ. Or to put it differently, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this, and this is reflecting on Romans 5.5. 5. It's an inner tasting, an inner tasting of the sweetness of Christ's pure and pervasive love. Who wants more of that? Yeah? It's his perfect and persistent affection that radically transforms you from the inside out. You see, religion is outside in and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But Christianity, and primarily the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is inside out. 
There's this transformation that takes place and it makes you a person, listen, of ultimately one thing. And what is that thing? God. God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit makes you a person all about God. You become besotted with God, captivated with God, fascinated with God, God's honor, God's church, God's son. And so at the end of the day, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has little to do with tingles and everything to do with being transfixed with God. Amen? Amen. And so this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, before we move on to our second question, the why question, I need to say something that might be a bit challenging. I'm trying to be sensitive here. I'm going to try and be pastoral, and I guess that's a good idea because I'm a pastor trying to be pastoral. But I'm just going to say it. Not every Christian, born again, true blue, legitimate, fair income Christian has experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not every Christian has experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit. You might be sitting and thinking to yourself, where do you get that from? What do you base that assertion on? And it's a good question. And I'm basing this assertion, this conviction, this belief on the clear teaching of the New Testament. We, We could turn to a number of places in the New Testament that teaches this. But for time's sake, we're going to go to one place. That's Acts chapter 8. For your own time, you can write this down as a note, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. You can write that down, but we're going to look at Acts chapter 8. So here's the backstory. Here's the context. There's this guy called Philip, and this guy's an evangelist. And he was from Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem. But because of the persecution, a lot of these Christians have been scattered. And so Philip has been scattered, and he's taken the gospel with him. He's scattering the gospel as he himself has been scattered with other Christians. Well, he ends up being in the region of Samaria, and he preaches the gospel there. I mean, that's what evangelists do, right? He preaches the gospel. And so he's preached the gospel, and amazingly, some of these Samaritans have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we join the account, we join the story in verse 14. It's going to be on the screen. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. That's quite incredible because these guys were the heavyweights, right? Peter and John, these are the pillars of the early church. Hey, go and check it out. Go and see if their faith is legitimate, okay? So in verse 15, this is what happens. As soon as they arrived... They prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. So they were convinced that these guys were genuine followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is really insightful. These guys had heard the gospel. They had received it. They had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And yet they hadn't been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. Verse 17, then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers And they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, was it a secret, silent thing? Was it something they weren't aware of? Like, I think I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. No, it was obvious. It was demonstrative. It was noticeable. How do we know that? Verse 18. When Simon, Simon, backstory in him, character check on this guy, he was a sorcerer. He was a guy who was a magician operated in the dark arts and he knew what it meant to see evil spirits and powers at play and so this is what we read when Simon saw 
saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people. He offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, boom, they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, he's rebuked for that. But the point is this, two things. You can be a Christian and not have received this amazing gift, the birthright, I think, for every single born-again believer, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the second thing is, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you know it. You know it. It's something tangible. In Acts chapter 4, there was the mighty infilling with the Holy Spirit and the place shook. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, there was tongues of fire and rushing wind. And every time someone is baptized with the Holy Spirit, you know it. There's an experience. doesn't mean that everything is always thunderbolts and lightning, but you know that you know that you know that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Greg Haslam, who is now the preaching pastor at Westminster Chapel where Lloyd-Jones preached, he says this about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit indwelling you. That's true. He cites Romans 8 verse 9. Where he says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. Okay, that's true. He says, you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit indwelling you. But he goes on to say, but you can be a Christian without the Holy Spirit empowering you. You hear that? You, you, you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit indwelling you. That's what it means to be a Christian. But you can be a Christian without the Holy Spirit empowering you. And so my question to all of us here this morning is, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you, thank you, Alex, have you experienced, <laughs> love this guy, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I remember when I worked in Parramatta as a hairdresser, this guy, he was new to the salon, never seen him before, and I started to cut his hair, and we started talking about Christianity, and I said, yeah, I'm a Christian, and when I said I'm a Christian, he kind of pushed to the front of the chair, and he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? I'm like, who is this guy? I mean, it's really weird. Like, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? I thought, this guy's weird. But hey, even though he was weird and his question came across as a bit weird, it was a good question. Because he was getting that straight out of Acts chapter 19, where the Apostle Paul says to the believers there in Ephesus, have you received the Holy Spirit? Since you believed, and that's our question that I want us to think about. Have you received this baptism with the Holy Spirit? Now, some of you are sitting there going, yes, I have. And you can point to an occasion. You can point to an encounter. You can point to an experience. But others of you are like, ah, I don't know. I'm not sure. And maybe if that's you, you might want to bypass the second question. The why question just gets to the how question. Like, how can I actually receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, just hold your horses. We'll get there in just a moment because now we need to think about the why question because it's very important that we understand what God's intention is for giving us his Holy Spirit. Why? Why do we need this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, for this, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2, and Andy mentioned the passage just a moment ago. In fact, I thought I was going to preach my sermon during the communion message, but Acts chapter 2. This is really, really important here, and this is what we're to expect as we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want to highlight five things that resulted from the Spirit being poured out, and so Acts 2 
the great fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. Joel the prophet, he looks forward in time and he sees the Spirit of God descending, filling each individual, each Christian, uh, not only certain individuals like under the old covenant, Moses, David and others, but the Spirit being poured out upon all believers. That's why I say the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my mind is the birthright to every true born again believer. And when the Spirit was poured out as Christ the enthroned Savior pours out his Spirit, certain things resolve. So, five things. Here we go. Number one. I'll find them in my notes. Here we go. Boldness. Boldness. The first thing, boldness, bravery. That is, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about power for witness. Powerful witness. And so, in Acts chapter 2, here's Peter, verse 14. It says that he stands up with the 11 and he says with a loud voice to this crowd that had gathered. Now, this is really interesting because 50 days before, this same Peter cowered before a servant girl. Remember, Jesus has been arrested. He's inside. Peter's outside in the courtyard warming himself. And someone approaches him and says, you're a follower of Jesus. I know. I'm a follower, and a little time after, hey, I can detect your accent, right? You're from Galilee. You're one of his supporters. No. And then the third time, look, the, the biblical language is actually quite strong. It's almost like he called down curses. He says, I don't fucking know him. Yes, right. Denies Christ. But 50 days on, post-Pentecost, here he is. This scared little rabbit, now a courageous lion, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God. This is what happens when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's not about tingles. As I said, it's about boldness for witness. Remember what Jesus says in the end of Luke's gospel. He says, okay, this is the Great Commission, but don't start it just yet. You're going to fail. So here's the plan. Go to Jerusalem and wait to be clothed with power from on high. What a striking image. Clothed with power for witness why do we need the baptism of the holy spirit because naturally we're timid we need boldness for witness number two devotion devotion the holy spirit baptism is so that we increase our devotion we, so we become more hungry for the things of god i'm, I'm referring to verse 42 here of acts chapter 2 We read these words, they devoted, so this is post-Pentecost, it's talking about the Christian community here, they devoted themselves to four things, Luke tells us. The apostles' teaching, number one. Number two, to fellowship. Number three, the breaking of bread, number four. And to prayer. Now, real quick snapshot summary of each here. These guys were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and this is what we're to expect when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, an intensified hunger for the things of God. The first thing, the apostles' doctrine, we're told. That is, they just so fell in love with Jesus, they just want to know more about him. It's just like, give me more. And they didn't have to be forced to learn about Jesus. Like, hey, I really think you should read Prodigal God by Tim Keller. No, it's like, hey, please just give me more about Jesus. I had this hunger, this insatiable desire to find out about Christ, to learn more of him. The second thing they devoted themselves to, we're told, is to the fellowship, which means more than church attendance. That's good. It's a good place to start. 
but it means church community. Church attendance and church community are not the same thing, all right? You go to church in order to have church community, but going to church does not mean necessarily you will experience church community. But these guys were boots in and all. They wanted church community. They gave themselves to the other believers. We're told in verse 46 that every day they continued to meet together. Every day. This wasn't a fortnightly thing like, you've got to go to Connect Group. I don't want to go to Connect Group. It's only fortnightly, yeah, but still, it kind of you know, impacts my, my lifestyle. This was something that they were passionate about. This is what the Holy Spirit does when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. You love the people of God. It's not always lovely, we know that. But you have this love for each other, this solidarity. Thirdly, they gave themselves to what we're told here, the breaking of bread, which means... They loved eating together, yeah. They loved to socialize, but so much more than that, as Andy wonderfully said during the communion. They, it was about reflecting on the costly love of Christ. They broke together as they celebrated the experience of Christ's love, as they thought about the cross, as they hammered out the implications of Calvary themselves. They gave themselves. Why? Because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The last thing, prayer. Prayer. You know what we're told in Galatians and Romans when the Holy Spirit comes, you have this Abba Father experience. This deep crying out to deep. I don't think that's talking about regeneration, being born again. I think that's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you, you experience deep within and you, Abba Father. And so prayer becomes your native language. It becomes the air you breathe, Abba Father, this love, intimate relationship with him and also with each other as you pray together. So who wants the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Oh dear, you're quiet. (laughs) Number three. So boldness, hunger for the things of God, and power, power. In particular, I'm thinking here, power to do signs and wonders and miracles. That is, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about Jesus' divine presence being witnessed through signs and wonders. Verse 43 of Acts 2. Everyone was filled with awe. Why? At the many wonders, not a few wonders, not wonders every now and again, but many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. By the apostles. Now, interestingly, it wasn't only the apostles who were doing miraculous things, miraculous deeds. In Acts chapter 6, we're told of Stephen, this guy who was baptized with the Holy Spirit. He did many wonders. In Acts chapter 8, Philip, we've already looked at him. He too, this evangelist, did many signs and wonders. And this is what we're to expect. This is what we're to pray for as the Spirit comes, for God's presence, Christ's presence, to be known through signs and wonders. Of course, word of clarity, doesn't mean that every single Christian will work miracles. How do we know that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's a gift. But every born-again, spirit-filled believer has the potential to work miracles. And I would go as far to say every single local church ought to work miracles. Why? Because the body is the body of Christ, and Christ is God, and he's in his church. Yeah? So... We ought to expect a greater measure of power in the church as we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. I remember (laughs) this illustration that Francis Chan once gave. If you're familiar with him, if you're not too sure who he is, he's a pastor from the U.S. And he was a pastor of quite a large church. I remember him telling this story about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and why we need it. He said, 
This one time, this guy came into his church, and he was huge, this guy. He was thick. His arms were like tree trunks, and his legs were even bigger than tree trunks. And this guy ended up being one of the strongest men in the world, like legit. He could bench press 450 kilos. I'm lucky if I get 45 kilos out. But this guy, 450, almost 1,000 pounds. He was massive. And Francis Chan said when they baptized him, it was really awkward because they had to do it kind of sideways. It was so big, it just wouldn't fit in the tub. He said, but the amazing thing was that his wife, this guy's wife, could bench press 180 kilos. 450 pounds. So you've got this massive, thick guy, this massive, thick wife. And he said, now imagine this. Not thick, not thick, (laughs) thick. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He says, imagine this, they have a kid, they have a child, a boy, and the boy grows up to be so puny and skinny, and you could push him over, blow him over like a fed. He says, you say, what's wrong with that? What's up with that? You've got this big dad, kind of (laughs) semi-big wife, mom, like what's going on? And, 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 And Francis Chan said, you know, the church is like that. The church is like that, often. You've got the Lord Jesus Christ, who through the word of his power created the universe. You've got the Holy Spirit who bench presses the universe. And here we are as Christians in church saying, would you like a newsletter? Would you like coffee with that, darling? You know, it's like, what's gone wrong? Seriously, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need it, I need it. We need a fresh infilling. Amen? So I'm expecting, when I give the call at the end of the sermon, I'm going to be to, you know, maybe another half an hour. I'm joking. Ten minutes. I'm expecting there to be a stampede up here, okay? Number four, generosity. Generosity. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you're going to love this, maybe, brings about a paradigm shift to life, including how you see and use your stuff, your possessions, your things. Where do I get this idea from? Well, from the text, verses 45, uh, 44, 45, listen to this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Oh, wow. How? Well, verse 45. They sold property. What? Is that in the Bible? Yes, in the Bible. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In chapter 4, we're told, no, sorry, chapter 3, we're told that they didn't claim this stuff as their own. This is remarkable. When the Spirit moves in power, things happen. You become more generous because you realize, hold on, life is not about my kingdom, it's about his kingdom. And you do extravagant things like selling investment properties in order to bring the cash to the feet here of the apostles so that the kingdom can be advanced. This is remarkable. When was the last time you heard of any Christian doing that? Yeah, I got this investment property in Brisbane. You know, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it. Here's the cash, Pastor. I so love the things of God. I want to see the gospel advance in the world because I realize that life is not about my kingdom and my comforts. It's about the kingdom advancing in the world because I'm so assured that my home is in heaven. Therefore, I'm going to sell up. What? You still want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? You're like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do that. Well, there's a problem if you don't want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe your heart is too entwined with the things of this life. I'll just leave that with you. Five, joy. Joy. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit is about experiencing God's sustaining, even electrifying joy. Verses 46, 47 here. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Listen, glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Praising God. What's really interesting about the day of Pentecost is that it was the festival of celebration. It came towards the end. They looked back throughout the year at God's faithfulness and here the harvest had come and they got their sheaves and they waved them before God and they celebrate and they, they thank God for his goodness, for his sustained goodness and faithfulness. Well, on the day of Pentecost, this is exactly what happened. They started to praise God, not because of the harvest, so to speak, but because of the great fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel chapter two. And so this is what happens in our lives when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's this joy, this deep joy, which does doesn't mean, just want to help you out, that you are to walk around with a pasty smile pretending everything is hunky-dory. Like, yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, the baby hasn't slept for like two weeks, and I'm fine, all good. You know, and the, you know, the boss, he's making these demands of me, but it's fine. All good. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that your circumstances will be joyful, but it does mean that God will sustain you amidst those and remain, keep you joyful amidst them. And this is why, again, we need each other because we can back each other up in prayer and support each other so that the atmosphere in church is joy. There's hope. There's that sustained hope, which is our strength. And so can you see why we need, church, the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Because of these five things, yeah? If you've fallen asleep, there's something wrong. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So last question, how? We've considered the what, the why, now the how. And maybe this is what you've been waiting for. How do we actually receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Well, I've got five things here, five R's that I want to rattle through really quickly. Five R's, and I know Ben's loving this because he loves alliteration. So five R's. I'm going to go through this quickly because I want ministry time at the end. All right, so 10 minutes at the end, just praying for you. Here's the first R, recognize. Recognize, what do I mean? recognize that it's Jesus who does the baptizing. He baptizes his people with the Spirit. And so when you come forward, you're not coming to a pastor, you're not coming to an eldership team, you're coming to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's really important. It's really important that you turn your attention heavenward to, to him. You look to him, that you respond to his invitation. Remember John 7, 37, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And I'll give you rivers of living water. And so recognize, first R, that Jesus is the one who does the baptizing. Second R, this is really important, reject. Reject. What do I mean? This is what I mean. Stop interpreting scripture by your lack of experience. You know, some Christians, they say, well, I've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It probably means then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that died out with the apostles. It's not for today's church. That is not a good interpretation. That's a bad interpretation. You need to reject your lack of experience. As I've said a couple of times, this is the birthright of every single believer. Pentecost, yes, we do look back, but Pentecost is to stir us to look up as well to God and say, again, in our day, Father, in my life, Father, pour out your spirit in the name of your son upon me, my family, community, nation. It's for today. And so reject your lack of experience. Also reject your temperament. You know, sometimes as Christians we can, uh, you know what, I like to play it safe. I like everything to be orderly and neat in my life. And this whole baptism of the Holy Spirit thing, it just sounds so out there. I'm not sure if I want that. Look, you've got to reject that. 
You've got to reject your temperament because hey, if you give into that, you will quench the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again in your life. So reject it. The third R, relax. Relax. Remember whom you're, you're coming toward, who you're coming before, should I say. You come before your Savior, the one who loves you, the one who gave himself for you. And remember that you are coming to your older brother. Remember you're coming before the one who said, you know, your father knows what you need. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. How much more will the father give you the Holy Spirit? If you come, you ask in my name, he will give you the Holy Spirit. So just relax, don't be tense, don't be stiff. Again, if you're stiff, it tends to stifle the things of the Spirit. So just relax. The, the fourth R, receive. Receive. This is important again. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift to receive, not a task to achieve. It's a gift to receive. It's a person to receive. The Holy Spirit, not a, not a task to achieve. In, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, this is what we read. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to flick to it and read that to you. But Paul, he asks this important question about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 2 these words. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? That is, through your own religious performance, your own religiosity, sweat, blood, tears, or by believing what you heard? By just coming to Jesus saying, I recognize you're the one who baptized the Holy Spirit. I'm rejecting my lack of experience. I'm rejecting my temperament. I'm relaxed in your presence. Oh, I receive. I open up my heart just to drink, to drink, to drink. Because you've promised that if I've come to you, you'd give me this life-giving, life-sustaining, life-transforming Holy Spirit. You receive. You drink. Yeah? Last R. Resolve. Resolve. Simply means... Take Jesus at his word. He's not a liar. He's no deceiver. He says, if you come to me, if you believe in me, then these rivers of living water will flow out of you. And John adds, he was talking about the Holy Spirit, who is yet to come. Well, the Spirit has come because this is post-Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's here today for you. And so that's enough sermon, all right? Some of you are like, amen. But now it's ministry time because... If you've identified that you have not yet experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by the way, can I just say this? There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. All right? Here's Christ this morning. He wants to fill you, fill us afresh. If you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit already, and yet things have been a bit stale and you need a fresh filling, Ephesians 5.18, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Come forward as well, and we will pray for you, and also you can pray for us. Is that good? Is that good? Okay, I'm going to hand over to Andy as he leads in worship. We've got 10 minutes. Let's stand, church. Let's stand. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Lord God, Lord, with outstretched arms, Lord God, and with open hearts. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.